Wait on your knees. Don't touch that dial. You want to hear this? It's about sex. Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. I'm your host, Ann Hardy. As a registered nurse, I talk to male patients about erectile dysfunction. I'm Kay Crow, ASEX certified sex therapist in private practice and local sexpert to those who are curious. I'm Ray, your friendly man about town. I'm a guy who's been around the block a bunch of times, and I'm here to share opinions to help get you laid and keep you safe. Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. This week on Night Moves, we're exploring sex education of adolescent boys and girls. Our guest is Rachel Olson, nurse practitioner, sex educator, and midwife. She'll share her thoughts on the current state of abstinence-only sex education for young people and what we should be teaching. And then we'll answer questions from email. Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. This week, we're exploring sex education of adolescents. There's so much controversy about sex education for both boys and girls. When to teach, what to teach, or even if they should have access to accurate scientific information about sex. The main areas of disagreement are between abstinence-only education and comprehensive sex education. And I've even heard among my peers, girls need sex education because boys have porn. Like girls don't watch porn? I think they do. I I definitely think they do. I know that they do. People think that they can just leave the porn industry to educate our young men. So what adolescents receive in place of sex education, at least in the public school system, is abstinence-only till marriage programs. These are centered around the idea of don't have sex until you're married, which is ridiculous given that people are marrying later and later these days. Things like getting married until you finish your education, start your career, you're way into your 30s. The sexual and reproductive health education proposed in the public schools does not include things like birth control and safe sex. Comprehensive sex education, on the other hand, covers the use of birth control and discusses sexual abstinence as one option of many. The Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States reports that the American government spent over $2.1 billion of taxpayer money between the years of 1981 and 2017 funding abstinence only until marriage. This education continues today. This is uh, despite the overwhelming body of research that proves these programs are ineffective. So unfortunately, yes, Ray, it continues today. One administration rolled it back but the current one brought it back again. And what they did is they rebranded it to be called the Sexual Risk Avoidance Education, or SRAE. And they brought it back in 2016. This prohibits teaching young people about the benefits of condoms and contraception. Though this program uses the language of sex education, 
they leave kids, adolescents, girls and boys, without the information they need to make decisions about their sexual health. And they're going to make those decisions whether they have that education or not. That's true. That's very true. And probably a lot riskier decisions. So a lot of this sounds more like morality teaching or something that the church might cover rather than... Something they teach in Sunday school. Exactly. This does not sound like sex education. But the following are some of the key published guidelines of these programs. The abstinence only till marriage rebranded to be sexual risk avoidance. Its exclusive purpose is teaching the social, psychological, and health risks of sexual activities and the benefits of abstaining from sex. Sexual risk avoidance focuses on rejecting sexual advances and how alcohol and drug use increases vulnerability to sexual advances. When I was researching this and reading about the abstinence only, I was like shocked. I got kind of carried away about what they're actually teaching our young people. What is it that's bad about abstinence only necessarily? Like that they're teaching us don't do it. Well, is it that the reality is is that nobody's going to listen? Pretty much. But they're also infusing young minds with, they're not talking about the joys of sex. Mm -hmm. They're only talking about the downsides of sex. They're using scare tactics to attempt to prevent kids from having sex, but it's not working. So basically we're setting up young children to, to find out that breaking the rules could be fun. Absolutely. It didn't work in the 60s. They tried to scare us so bad about drugs, especially marijuana use. Reefer madness. It caused you to do terrible things. Heck, we didn't believe it. It just made us want to try it all the more. I'm not going to bash the program 100% in as much as they do teach about how alcohol and drug use will increase your vulnerability. That's that is a fact. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. does need to be said. The kid also needs to know if they're vulnerable, how to protect themselves. These programs also teach that abstinence is the only certain way to avoid out-of-wedlock pregnancies, like that is not already happening across the country, sexually transmitted diseases, and other associated health problems. And how it's so bad for the adolescent, and it's also bad for any child they may have out of wedlock. I just hate that terminology, out of wedlock. It's, it's so, so shaming. Archaic, which is nuts. I mean, how many, how many people do you know that were raised by a single mom? And, or maybe they were an unplanned pregnancy. I think it's really common. So these abstinence-only programs have failed to accomplish what they set out to do. A study by Columbia University, published in the Journal of Adolescent Health, reports that these programs do not delay the age of sexual intercourse for young people. Comprehensive sex education programs show favorable effects on adolescents' behavior, including sexual initiation, the number of sex partners, frequency of sexual activities, use of condoms and contraception, and the frequency of unprotected sexual activity, STDs, and pregnancy. So they cover it all. That's the way it's supposed to be. You know, when you were, when you were talking about that last point, it made me think that abstinence-based sex education, which the government is now behind, it just keeps pushing sexuality into the basement, into this subterranean, out-of-the-way place. Kids are still going to have sex, but they're not going to be as open about it, and they're not necessarily going to have the information they need when they start 
being sexually active. Or be safe about it. Exactly. According to the researchers, these programs also violate adolescent human rights by withholding medically accurate information. These programs stigmatize or exclude many LGBTQ youth, reinforce harmful gender stereotypes, and undermine scientific public health programs. Agreed. In the U.S. today, the gap between the age at first sex and first marriage is 8.7 years for young women and 11.7 years for young men. With the lack of factual information, when American teens do begin having sex, they may fail to use condoms or other forms of contraception, unlike their peers in other countries who have routine access to contraceptive education and counseling. I've heard in those abstinence programs, they actually drill into them that like, oh no, condoms don't work. A blogger, Jess Phillips, writes about her experience attending an abstinence-only program. She says, It was all about the dangers of a man climaxing. That is the thing that causes the babies. We were shown how to handle and dispose of men's pleasure safely. At that time, we were certainly not sexually enlightened young women exploring our sexuality. We were vessels for the boys' exploration. No one ever said that sex was for us, too. Girls and boys spend at least the first 10 years of their sex lives focusing exclusively on what boys want. I don't want other young girls growing up thinking that sex is just something that happens to us. I think that's a terrible message, but I think it's kind of the predominantly one. I know I grew up, it was all sex is for the men. They got to have it. And if you don't deliver, they're going to find it somewhere else. Like sexual risk avoidance. I was sitting there looking for a good joke for that. And I'm thinking about, you know, ducking the dildo stuck to the mirror, <laughs> you know. <laughs> One of the really downside and a real lack of our education for our girls is we have to teach them about their own body and pleasure. Many girls will have intercourse long before they have masturbate or have a solo orgasm. I, I agree these programs focus too much on the the downsides of sex. The scare tactics. Where is the focus and the encouragement around there's so much joy to be had from sex. There's so much pleasure to be had from sex. But in order to experience that, you do have to protect yourself from the riskier aspects. But you don't want to focus on the risks and, and miss all the joy. It's been a great discussion. What's your closing thoughts? Well, I think we have a lot to learn from other countries, especially countries like Denmark and Sweden uh, and the Netherlands that begin uh, age-appropriate, scientifically-based sex education with kids. It begins very young. This is the proper name for a body part for you know a three- and four-year-old, and then it, it goes up developmentally. And it's something that's a part of life. It's not separate. It's not this shameful thing that you tuck in your back pocket when you're not using it. It's, it's more about this is a big part of who you are as a human being. Stay tuned. Coming up next is our guest, Rachel Olson. She's a nurse practitioner that specializes in women's health, a midwife, and sexual educator. And then we'll answer questions from email. Check out our podcast at www.mixcloud.com slash nightmovesksym.
Email your questions to nightmovesksym at gmail.com. Nightmoves, your only alternative for sex information. Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. Our guest is Rachel Olson, nurse practitioner and midwife, a sexual educator in women's health, and has a private practice in holistic women's health and gynecology. Welcome to Night Moves, Rachel. Thank you. Our hosts have been discussing about what children or adolescents are getting in school as far as sexual education. And I would really like you to talk about, instead of what is being taught, what we should be teaching, particularly our girls. Everybody needs to be taught the ABCs, so that's anatomy, biology, and consent. So what parts do we have? What parts well, what part does everybody have um, and the different variations? What do our parts do? And especially looking at the clitoris, which up until recently was pretty much ignored in medical texts. They just didn't even put the clitoris into some medical anatomy and biology books. It's kind of hard to believe, but it's true. And so um, pointing out that that's specifically for pleasure. So clearly our bodies are meant for pleasure. And consent is really important, um, especially in this day and age. And so talking about democratic relationships, what it means to not just say yes or no, because there's a lot of layers there. Um, A lot of women don't even know why they have sex. So I think that's another thing too, is talking about why you have sex. And consent also means informed consent. So having discussion with partners about, have you been tested before? Have you been exposed to certain things? And let me see your results. I think that can be part of your consent, too, because in this time when everything's electronic, you should be able to get your results online and send it in Snapchat or a text message and be able to expect those results to be shared back with you. In reading about the abstinence only till marriage teachings, when I read about what they're teaching, it sounds more like what you'd be teaching in church instead of scientific information. Absolutely. I see that a lot. People don't even know anything about their body parts or their partner's body parts, and they don't know when they can get pregnant. So, of course, there's danger in people not understanding their bodies. I think psychologically, there's danger in the shame that goes around sex. So, even if people do understand their body parts, and I feel like I came from this background where I had a decent sex education. I mean, it could have been a lot better. I was in the public school system, but you know, we had diagrams of female and male anatomy and we learned about um, birth control in school and STDs and, you know, we learned some stuff, but still it was like, but don't have sex till you're married, of course. And so of course we were all having sex before we were married. Um, I'm not sure I knew anybody that didn't, but of course that came with a lot of shame. And I see that like I said, working in a clinical situation where people are having sex and they might say, you know, I go to this Catholic university or I was raised with this educational and spiritual belief system and I just feel so dirty or I feel so ugly or I feel so wrong. And it just breaks my heart because there's absolutely nothing wrong, obviously, with having sex. It's part of being human. And I just 
struggle in getting through to them sometimes, though actually usually they will cry with, with relief and tell me nobody's ever told me that before. The psychological damage that can come from feeling like they're dirty or they're wrong or they've done something wrong. And maybe that keeps them in a bad relationship because they don't want to have too many sex partners. So they stay in a relationship just because they're worried about going above a certain number. And that's an interesting concept, too, because sometimes people just have a number in their head about like, OK, I'm not too dirty if I only have sex with three people or 10 people or whatever that is. <laughs> Over five, you're a slut. Yeah. And it's just nonsense because it's like, well, if you get to four, is that... That's it's not so, like your genitals is a finite amount you're going to use yeah. that. We did a kind of focus group with the parents to hear, what do you want us to teach your kids? Because we don't, you know, we want, we want it to be kind of along what you want it to be, even though we're definitely going to tell them some stuff. But one of the moms said that she wanted it described as sex was like a jewel. And if you give your jewel away, then, well, you don't have your jewel anymore. And just something along those lines about you're giving yourself away. And I I straight up told her, I'm not telling her that. That's, I don't believe in that. And there is this belief. One reason you should wait to have sex is you're giving away your purity. You're giving away God's gift. And that's, not how I see sex at all. Me neither. I feel like one of the problems with women and their sexuality is they don't know their own body. And from a young age, girls are really discouraged from exploring. I know I was told, like, you don't touch down there. Something could happen. Well, I didn't know what would happen, but ooh, it didn't sound good. <laughs> On the other hand, my brothers, uh, there was a lot of joking about those long showers they took. Yes. And it seemed to be very acceptable. If I'm doing a pelvic exam, I always make sure they know where their clitoris is because probably nobody's ever showed them or maybe they've never seen a diagram of it. Small groups that we've taught, which is uh, eight or nine to 12 year old girls, we show them a book and we show them on the diagram where all of their parts are, including their clitoris. And we say, go home, um, you know, when you have some time to yourself and check it out, get a mirror. See if you can kind of see some of these parts. And just so you know, the only purpose of the clitoris is for enjoyment. So feel free to touch it. The pleasure button. Yes. <laughs> and when they first touch it, they'll go, ooh. Oh, exactly. Oh, my God. I had ooh. no idea that was down there. What role does pleasure play in sexual education? Most people aren't talking about it at all. Showing them a diagram and telling them to go explore their genitals at home and know where their clitoris is. That's kind of my first step. Sex has a lot of purpose. One is connection. One is exploration of your own body and your partner's body. And then certainly pleasure is a huge reason to have sex, if not the best reason to have sex, because connection and intimacy is an important part of sex, but you can do that in other ways too. I think if you don't talk about intimacy specifically, pleasure is really important to talk about and talking about sex because I don't think it's usually talked about. So beyond just talking about where your clitoris is, um, why the foreskin is actually important in pleasure, we need to talk about enjoying your body and enjoying each other's bodies in 
sex in different ways. So sex is just treated as this obligatory thing sometimes for women. And there's a lot of reasons they have sex and they need to explore. To please their man. Yeah. Keep their man. Exactly. Or, I'm, or their partner. Yeah. It's usually more about sustaining the relationship than about enjoyment. And so, I mean, everybody knows the man's enjoying enjoying it but you'd hear about that <laughs> yeah i don't think that women are even considered in the equation usually and so i think women need to know that men actually enjoy seeing their partner enjoy sex and that's a big turn on to them both partners should be getting enjoyment out of it and should be present in each moment so if you're not enjoying something you just speak up and say, hey, I'm not really enjoying this because you don't know your other the partner might not be enjoying it either. And I just think it's such an important time to grow intimacy by communicating and talking about what you like and what you don't like. And that actually starts on your own by exploring your own body and seeing what you do like, because how how can you expect somebody to please you if you don't know what pleases you? They can be empowered in the situation to know their body and and ask for what they want. The secret is that men actually enjoy when you do know your body and you can tell them right where to go and what to do. I think they really enjoy having a roadmap to your body yeah. and to show them, am I going to please her or not? Or some guys don't even think that. Yeah, part of the work needs to be on the individual to find out what's pleasing to them. So, Rachel, it's been so interesting to talk to you today. And do you have any closing thoughts? Well, I do want to go back to the dangers of abstinence-only education. Just doesn't give kids skills to have safe sex, actually, um, to avoid pregnancy if that's what they want to do, and to you know, not have STIs or sexually transmitted infections. They need to know how to put a condom on, men and women. Women need to know that they can buy condoms and carry them around, and that doesn't look bad. It actually looks very responsible on them if they do that. I always encourage girls to pack. And just to know what the testing options are. So I see a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, I'm clean. I've been tested. And I say, what, what kind of testing did you get? And they may have said, oh, I got my finger pricked on campus, which would pretty much only be HIV testing or I peed in a cup. Well, that's probably only chlamydia and gonorrhea. So I think it's important to know. And by the way, the public health department is a really great place to get tested. They do it very affordably. The other thing is with abstinence only education, the emphasis is really on penis and vagina sex. That's the only, when they say abstinence only, they're really referring to that only. And so therefore people end up having plenty of oral sex and plenty of anal sex and they may have 20 partners and that's okay. And you're still a virgin. Yeah. To be talking about all the different types of sex and how to protect yourself and how to enjoy it. It's so limiting to have abstinence only, again, because of the shame, especially. For people who want more information, how can they reach you? My website is functionalmidwiferytx.com. That's F-U-N-C-T-I-O-N-A-L-M-I-D-W-I-F-E-R-Y-T-X.com. I specialize in functional medicine, which is getting at the root cause of illness. Really specialize in women's health and gynecology, so pap smears, birth control, all different kinds of women's issues and infections. I also see trans women and trans men. Uh, sex ed classes. You can also find me on Facebook at fun Functional Midwifery TX. Oh, it's been fascinating. Thanks so much for being on Night Moves, Thanks Rachel. for having me. It's a pleasure. Coming up next, 
The hosts will answer emails from the listeners. Like us on Facebook, Night Moves Now. Please send us your questions and comments to nightmovesksym at gmail.com. Questions and comments. The question is from a female in her 20s. I've been dating a guy for over a year. He can't seem to commit to just me. He still sees other women, but tells me it's nothing and he loves me. Why am I not good enough? Is there anything I can do? And will it improve with time? Uh, probably not even necessary. How, on the other hand, he tells you that he loves you. And I, I can't speak to whether or not he actually does, but it's been a year. So what are you really doing? Personally, I think you should cut your losses and move on. I think that you're coming at this in, from a very disempowered place. You're asking, why am I not good enough? You're making an assumption that the fact that he doesn't want to be monogamous has anything to do with you. If he wants an open relationship and you want monogamy, then the two of you are mismatched. You don't want the same things. I wouldn't ask the questions you're asking. And will it improve with time? Well, let me tell you this. If you're not happy with the relationship the way it is now, you certainly won't be happy with it in a year from now. As for whether your and his definitions of love are the same thing, that's, that's a discussion that you really need to have with him. And if you wait another year and things haven't changed, you just wasted another year. The question is from a female in her 40s. I do not have a partner. I use a Hitachi magic wand, a strong vibrator, because it gets me off quickly. But I'm concerned I'll have difficulty achieving an orgasm with more subtle activity, such as oral sex. Is it okay to continue using it? And am I going to have trouble with the partner? You said you use the strong vibrator because it gets you off quickly. So one thing you can try is slowing down what I call your, your sexual trajectory, your arousal trajectory. If you're used to masturbating quickly, slow it down, use your fingers. Um, lots of lube. Yeah, lots of lube. And that'll help you prepare for being with a partner. I really don't think that using a vibrator is going to prevent you from enjoying oral sex with a partner or any other kind of sex with a partner. Um, they're just two different experiences. And you open up what you're doing by yourself. Take it more slowly. Do, do some different stimulation. And that'll help you prepare for having a partner again. Would a vibrator that wasn't so strong get, ever get used to that? Would that be effective? That's something you could try. And um, depending upon the... And you could also integrate that into your partner's sex, as you were saying, Kay. There's Absolutely. ways There's ways that, like, for example, if your partner is on have, doing oral on you, your partner could take that, that, that vibrator and put it, you know, against their jaw and then have the vibration travel through their mouth to your, you know, sensitive parts. Mm-hmm. I have known somebody to have had your problem where they were using the very same device that you're talking about and it desensitized them and kind of jaded them to 
different kinds of stimulation aside from that they they started to assume that that's what they were going to need when in fact Kay, you told them to redirect their curve and i'm, I'm sure that that's also going to help my friend mm-hmm. are you going to share this information with her i am going to share this information with her the question is from a male in his 20s how long should foreplay last and how do i know when she's ready for penetration and orgasm sounds like there's an orgasm talk in order between you and your partner you are not going to know how much preparation she needs for for penetration and what her arousal trajectory looks like until you you talk to her and ask her what works for you you know do you need to start with a back rub or a foot rub and then build up from there or there there are certainly some women out there that like to go straight to intercourse no, no preliminaries. It just depends. You just have to ask. Well, I'm going to quote Game of Thrones. <laughs> they were advising Jon Snow, one of the lead characters, on sexual activity. And the guy said, you got to wait for her to be as slick as can be before you even come near it with your thing. Yeah, but what if she's on birth control and she's not lubricating as much as she normally would? That you can't always go by vaginal lubrication. I would say that if you're having foreplay, typically she'll send you some kind of sign that, hey, she's ready. Put the coconut oil next to the bed with it mostly uh, most of the way unscrewed. And when she reaches over and opens it, that that's your pass. Why is everybody avoiding having a conversation? I no, I think you need to have the conversation. <laughs> you have to have the conversation for sure. So we've been joking along, but yes, you need to have the conversation before sex. So you kind of will give him an idea of when you're ready. I mean, and I mean, if his junk is in your hand. Mm-hmm. Bring it on home, baby. What sign do you use, Ray? Legs in the air is a good starter. <laughs> Good night, and I hope you find yourself in bed with a book you love or someone who's already read one. Hey, y'all, have a great night. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, but if you're going to do it, do it safe. Good night, have a fabulous week, and tune in next week to Night Moves. An exploration of contemporary sexuality.